1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. Then he was in forensics. Then he was a New South Wales firefighter. This season of Loose Units is called Hot Stuff Coming Through, and apart from having an incredibly cool and stupid name, it's going to reveal the untold side of being a firefighter in Australia. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, the podcast. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven, and sitting across from me, well, not actually physically sitting across from me, digitally sitting across from me, hunched over his kitchen cabinet. Paul, speaking. how do you know I'm hunched? Oh, uh, just a general assumption about your posture. Are you not hunched? No, I, but I stand very erect.
3: Hang on, you're standing? No, but when I do stand. So what you're saying is you are hunched? Uh, well, I'm I'm comfortable and I'm leaning towards the <laughs> microphone. In a hunching-like fashion. I love this microphone. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, i become attached to it, you but only associate. during the recording session. I don't associate with it when I'm not recording.
2: Oh, I see how it is. You're one of those people who'll be friends to their faces, but the second you see them in public, you'll pretend you don't know them.
3: mm so I just put it away on a little Japanese cabinet in the corner, yep. and there yep. it sits.
2: Here's a question. Does the microphone being gold
3: add to the prestige of the very recording process? Very much so. I don't know whether they only make them in gold, but they if it was silver, I'd feel, well, there are no prizes for second. There is a silver, second yeah. place. Well, there are no prizes for third. They bronze. Good point. Yep. There was a very famous book. Actually, it wasn't that famous. <laughs> Probably no one's ever heard of it. <laughs> but... But it's resonated and it's, a, it's an extraordinary book about, are you ready for this? It's a photographic diary yep, of a particular Olympic Games and this amazing photographer, I've got to stop using the word amazing, I'm, I'm going to try and come up with another word. This photographer, he photographed every single person in every event that came forth. I don't mean F-O-R-T-H but F-O-U-R-T-H. Isn't that fascinating? And, and generally they look pretty sad. ...and despondent, but you do need um, more than three people in a race, in an Olympic event. What you're saying is that you've got a book full of photos of people looking
2: disappointed. Mm -mm. (laughs) The the nights must just fly by in the Verhoeven household. Anyway, you you have a question. I do have a question from a listener called Brad, and I'm going to read it now. Huge fan of the podcast, definitely need more antique stories. I do have a question. Back when I was younger... My dad had a police radio slash scanner that he bought from Dick Smith Electronics. We used to listen to it of a night to keep us entertained. Mind you, I was probably seven years old at the time. We were living in Mount Druitt back then, the place you mentioned of the fire station having a huge gate, etc. No shortage of entertainment in that district, believe me. Side note, I was about 10 years old. And one night, a guy had stolen an army tank. Yes, a fucking army tank. And I seen it driving up a main road adjacent to my house with cops tailing him. He was driving it around destroying Telstra mobile towers, all because there were discrepancies with his phone bill. Anyway, back to my... (laughs) Back to my question. John, I was wondering, is it still possible to be able to listen to communications on the emergency services radios, or is this illegal? Would appreciate it if you got back to me.
3: Thanks, Brad. Can I just... Start this whole thing by saying that some people may well regard it as perhaps a community service to run over Telstra towers. Really? Yep. Are I you d- an
2: Optus man, or are you? No, are you, are you I,
3: a... I, no, I actually really like Telstra, even though they, they don't advertise with us on this podcast, which is a shame. If they did, I probably wouldn't say what I'm about to say. But we've all had some experiences with Telstra. So this particular guy, I do actually recall that person driving the uh, the armored vehicle. Really? And uh, yeah. Wasn't now, tanks are designed to actually be able to run over cars. So I imagine the police were rather tentative in approaching this particular vehicle. I have a, I have a feeling that he actually stole that from Holdsworthy, which is a military base out west of Sydney. I'm just thinking um, whether he was actually a soldier. I mean, I don't think you could just get into a tank. And just start her up and drive it. I sure. Think I think there's a fair bit to it.
2: Well, it's like, no, Dad, it's like a hippogriff. You have to bow and then it bows. And if it deems you worthy, it will then let you drive it.
3: Hmm. Paul, I have no idea what you're saying, but... Yes, you do. You've been to Harry Potter. You've been oh, to the, right. the oh, Harry Potter golly. studio tour. Okay. Yeah, Amazing.
2: You've actually got footage. You filmed footage of me bowing to a hippogriff and it bowing back. It was yeah, a very it, special it w-
3: moment. Hmm, but it actually was just a robot covered in fur. D- Don't ruin it. Look, it,
2: according to the um, the Daily Telegraph... Uh, Back in 2007, yeah, back 2007, he was a 35-year-old man. He was refused bail for a second time in Penrith local court after allegedly leading police on a bizarre chase through six Western Sydney suburbs. Mm. So effectively, he it says it was a privately owned Trojan armored personnel carrier. privately owned,
3: okay. There are people out there. um, People do collect various things. People collect um, cups and saucers, egg Mm -hmm. cups, um, figurines. (laughs) Like a gulf between an egg cup it and is, an, an armoured carrier. I, I concur. However, <laughs> yeah. my point is that I'm, I'm demonstrating to you that people do collect lots and lots of things. And there are people that do collect large things like tanks. And the reason they do that is that they often do reenactments on weekends. Uh, oh, yes, generally. Of course. Yeah, so, you know, like jousting, you could collect
2: horses. Yeah, if you ever really want to clean up in a jousting tournament, just wait until they're charging at you with the horse, whip out a tank. They cannot win. horse cannot beat tank.
3: No. And if you've seen any of the early uh, footage from both First and Second World Wars as to what tanks can do, Mm. they can... uh, And and, and, and I I imagine the police perhaps thought, you know, um, I mean, I haven't seen a picture of this particular vehicle, but, you know, was it Mm. capable of firing projectiles? In that case, you would be well advised to uh, at least not get in front of it or actually behind it or even to the left or right because they can swivel. That's if we're talking um, about a tank.
2: Well, this um, personnel carrier was apparently hired out for weddings and monster truck shows. Mm. So it was basically... I don't think it, it had was... It. Yeah. No, no. But, but, but apparently it uh, was used to ram seven mobile towers and fences. Well, that's incredible. That's that incredible. Yeah. yeah.
3: I guess the essence of this question is about police scanners. When I was in my teens, my late teens, I had a very, very good friend. He was, I guess you'd call him my best friend. I don't, uh-huh. I don't use that term anymore, because I don't have any friends. What's wrong with you? Why no, would do. you say that? You have plenty of friends. I know, I was kidding. But um, I, I mean, I don't rate friends. Oh, right. But in There's school, no you know, you had a best friend, and then I don't know if you had a second best friend or third. I think
2: people jostled for first place, yeah, basically. Yeah. Your entire high school life is just people vying for first place. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So, I had one best friend, but a lot of my mm. friends had me as... I had multiple people that had me as their best friend. So, you're in high demand, is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, okay. You know how you sent me that? I just I just sort of breathed then, which I, I tend to do. Yeah. And you sent me, um, just for the listeners, so they, they get a sense of what happens behind the scenes here, but you actually sent me um, a complete recording of me sort of licking my lips and doing all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, the- I was moderately, I mean, I think, I know why you sent it to me, to, to make a point. No, I but, sent it to make you laugh. No, but I, I didn't laugh. To- I, was, I was traumatized.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, your mouth sounds out uh, pretty traumatizing. Here's what happens. People don't realize this, but there's about 400 edit points during each episode. You know, just for things like little pops on the mic and ums and ahs and swallowing noises. And I was cutting out so many... I tell Dad to drink a glass of water before the show. And sometimes you don't remember to do that. And that's no. totally fine. And then what happened was, I sort of just had about... F- about a minute and a half of just of just wet smacking mouth sounds. So I whacked them all in a in a wave file, shot them across to dad,
3: and he didn't talk to me for a few days. No, well, it was fairly. It's sort of weird. I mean, I'm used to listening to my own voice now, but um, to have heard all those weird sort of lip smacking noises was uh, was a bit weird. I thought. So my good friend, he. Hang had, on, hang on. A second ago, he was your best friend. My best did you, friend. Did you just? I'm sorry. Did you just downgrade him? A lot of people might not be aware of this who are relatively young, but. You used to be able to go to Dick Smith's and there was another American um, chain of electronic stores, trying to think what they were called, someone will remember, and they were everywhere. Radio Shack? Radio Shack. And you could buy sort of uh, detectors to go in your car that would forewarn you of any um, speed cameras or we we didn't have speed cameras, but radar, like the police had their. Hand-mounted radar things that they'd point, and uh, you had these monitors, and they'd go off, so you could slow down. They were eventually banned, mm. but something that's always been, in my to my knowledge, quite illegal, um, are police scanners. Now it's a double-edged sword. When I first joined the New South Wales Police Force, we'd rock up to uh, car accidents, you know, and ranging from fairly minor to fatalities, and everything in between. And yeah. can you guess who was always at the scene? prior to any police arriving? Tow trucks. Tow trucks. Every single time. Yep. And it didn't take me that long to realize that they all had police scanners. And it was kind of, it was approved in a sort of a semi-legal um, way because, I mean, let's face it, you need the tow truck drivers at the scene because they, they, um, a good tow truck driver was uh, was really, really helpful. They do a lot of extra things. Um, aside from their their standard duties, they might do a bit of traffic control. Um, but then, as years went by, it became very, very competitive in the uh, in the tow truck world to get the tow. Yeah. Then the police force introduced rostered tows, so it became a bit of a you know a bit of a situation where there was sort of more legal duty placed on that whole scene because it was a very corrupt business, the tow truck business back in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, and the reason it was so corrupt is that um, and this is a little fun fact for the listeners, the tow truck would get the tow. They would then hoist the vehicle and then they would simply drive around to a number of smash repair places and they would basically auction the tow. So they'd say, okay, like they might want $1,000 or $2,000 per drop just for them to just leave that car at a particular tow, sorry, um, smash repair business. because it yeah. was huge money in repairs. So if the smash repair business really wanted that job, they'd pay a 1000 cash to the towies. Now, that's per, per car on top of the tow truck driver's salary. And imagine if you did four or five of those a shift. Oh, of course. That is huge yeah. money. Yeah. And then it became sort of almost mafia-like and bikey gangs, and it became so bad that, at least in New South Wales, they had to introduce what was called rosted tows. So no sure. longer was it just the first person, first towie arriving. And sometimes tow truck drivers would intimidate um, people where their car didn't need a tow, but they'd kind of stand over them and go, well, you know, you're going to get a tow. Or sometimes they'd even hoist their car up prior to them even giving permission. And it happened particularly to, to women who um, obviously are more vulnerable on, 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 you know, in general, and yep. They were taken advantage of. So and, and and then of course we had brawls and and it, it sort of deteriorated into a real shitstorm at, at quite a few accidents. Um, but so but there was tacit approval for the towies to have scanners. And then um, here's here's a sort of a bit of a problem having scanners. Imagine if you're in two stolen cars. The preferred car back then was the Subaru Impreza WRX, sort of some high powered. Like a racing car that could really, that was faster than any of the police cars, and they'd do these smash and grabs where they'd drive into the front of a bank at two in the morning, yep, and they'd get all the gear, get the safe, get whatever. Or they'd do jewelry stores, and they always had a scout, like a lookout car, um, and they would have a police scanner, and they could be just listening. And as soon as they knew that the police were aware, because it'd be all over the radio, they'd then go right, let's get out of here. Uh, but then the police force started to um, uh, change the the coding on the uh, on the police frequencies, and they yeah. and they sort of uh, encrypted them, and then it became a criminal offence to um, to have the uh, the scanner. But I mean, I remember as as in my teens, before obviously, well, before I joined the police force. A couple yep. of my mates had police scanners, and it was so fascinating just listening into the, uh the police radio.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together.
3: Because uh, it's, cause it's pretty interesting. You get to hear It's some, kind of voyeuristic, you know. Well, you get to hear some interesting stuff. But I'm sure that um, you can still listen to perhaps overseas police channels. Um, I'm sure that can be done. There you go. Well,
2: I, I, I was curious as to whether you could actually just grab a scanner. So I went to Gumtree and apparently there <laughs> there is a Uniden UBC 93XLT 200 channel programmable scanner for sale for $100 in Wangaratta. So, wow, that's yeah, interesting. It, And it plugs into cigarette lighter charges. Um, Here we go. If you don't know what this item is or what it does, don't bother asking stupid questions. We'll go unanswered. And then, oh boy. Yeah, it says it's for um, police, ambulance, and firefighter firefighters. That is so interesting. That's like a hundred bucks. I mean, like you said, uh, if the frequencies are scrambled, obviously that's something. But I seem to recall police scanners coming up a fair bit in your stories mm-hmm. uh, especially in the first book there's a really interesting case where yeah that uh you got to the site of a prang and a woman was surrounded by a bunch of tow truck drivers mm-hmm. basically intimidating her and jockeying for the, yeah, for the you the know toe. for for the tow mm-hmm.
3: uh
2: but if you're a police officer i mean do you ever find that people were kind of using those to sort of come and looky-loo and you know check out crime scenes
3: um did i ever tell you the story about i went to a terrible car accident um, in Neutral Bay and I was a pretty junior constable and we rocked up and this pedestrian had been hit by a car and um, both this guy's femurs, you know, the major bone between the hip and the knee, which is the major bone, both of those were broken. They were both both compounded fractures. So both bones were sticking. They'd pierced his denim jeans and uh, I could see clearly the white bones um, sticking out He was on the middle of the road. It was a Saturday night, super busy, maybe 6 p.m., so thousands of people heading into the city. Uh And this would have been early 80s. And um, this is a great yarn. God. Um, I was so stressed um, that we... It was such a traumatic incident that when I... And my colleague left the police car. We were working at Mossman that night. We were in 610, which was the sort of the head Mossman car. Yeah. But there was so much stress. There were people screaming. Visually, it was a very traumatic incident to to observe. Um, there were literally many, many hundreds of people gathered around, and we pulled up on the footpath, kind of almost did an emergency, just yeah. pull up anywhere, and we didn't lock the police car, which is the absolute, oh. it's like a cardinal sin. You, uh, but there was, oh look, it's pretty inexcusable but the excuse was that the, the case was so traumatic and we really needed, um, there were no ambulances so we were going to be um, f- being first responders we were also looking at doing first aid we sorted the entire um, incident out the offending driver was intoxicated and uh, we arrested him and when we got him back to the car I looked into the car and I could see the windows were open and one door was open I thought, mm. anyway, one of our police radios had been stolen. I <gasps> my, my sort of my career flashed before me because that's 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 there's no excuse because if that radio falls into the wrong hands because when police back then used to do special operations they'd go on to because um, these radios they they're capable of communicating on many many channels. Yeah. So if you had a special operation like the detectives or the TRG, the Tactical Response Group, which is now the Civil Disobedience and sort of Riot Squad. If they needed to do an operation that they required um, a quiet channel with no chatter, they used to call it, mm. um, where everyone's really focused and everyone's on point, they would have multiple um, channels and on a, and you would sort of come to an agreement perhaps um, pre uh, a major operation. You can imagine like a siege, like the Lindt Cafe and stuff like that. The police aren't going to be communicating on a major network or on the main network and they also do consider that the uh, in a siege situation it's possible that the offenders inside the building may well have scanners and they're certainly not going to divulge their strategy yeah so you can imagine it comes back to the, I mean aside from the monetary value these these radios um, are very valuable but they're they're coded and on the black market they'd be worth like tobaki gangs into drug gangs, they're very valuable, uh, like a firearm. When I got back to the car, I realised, and uh, as my sphincter snapped shut, and I thought, "I'm fucked." Yep. This is the end of my career. Okay, this is a really good story, good and bad, but it'll show you how things were back in the uh, in the police force uh, in the eighties. I went back to the station. I spoke to the supervising sergeant. He's kind of the officer in charge. He was a first class sergeant. He, I, th- I thought he'd just tear, tear strips off me. And he put his arm around me and he said, look, John, um, you know, this is pretty fucked up, but let's see what we can do. Now, I've taken you and Tegan out the back lane of the old police station. Yes. And that's how we used to come in. So we'd park the cars at the front of the station on the Pacific Highway. And sometimes you'd park them on the back. If you had a prisoner, they'd open a roller door and you'd, for lots of reasons, bring the prisoners in through the back into the cells. Yeah, He said to me, I remember we walked out the front of the station. It was by then, it was probably, so the accident happened about six. We got back to the station maybe around about 8, 8.30. Um, I was really nervous. And that's like a capital hanging offence to lose the radio. He said, okay, drive the car around the block, park it at the back of the station, which is what I did. And he said, now lock the car up. And I locked it up. And I'm standing there thinking, you know, what's going on? He then took out his baton. He smashed the uh, the passenger window, and then he said, there, "There you go, taken care of." To to indicate to me that um, whilst the car was parked properly at the back of the police station, someone had come along and you know maybe put a brick through the window or whatever, reached in and stole on the radio. He saved my ass. That guy. What do you think so of that story?
2: is. Occasionally during these stories, I wonder whether telling the story is going to get you in trouble retroactively.
3: No, <laughs> no, no way. So long ago. How long ago? I know. I'm Shit, just. 30, I'm hang doing... on. Thirty five years. Thirty five. Oh, Thirty five. Thirty five years ago, I couldn't give a yeah. rat's ass. He 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 would definitely be long dead. And I'm just the point of the story is that he 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 covered my ass because yeah. he thought, well, he's a a, a decent young constable and, um, you know, he's fucked up, but. Anyway, anyway, that's the story, and it's a it's a good yarn, um, and he, he really saved my ass.
2: You mentioned something. Uh, you mentioned something to me. Uh, I think we may have talked about this at several points, but thematically, I think it does link in, and that is that criminals started to occasionally um, get a little bit clever, and they figured out that all the cops were. Busy on one day of the year was it Christmas mm. Day? And no, no, did... it wasn't one it's...
3: day of the year. It was one day, every day, one week Thursday morning. Thursday it's... morning, they'd have a big cook up, and so yeah, they would head into up. the and they head into the locker rooms. And what would they do? Well, at some police stations, uh, at Lane Cove Police Station, because some police stations were not twenty four hour police stations, mm-hmm. some of them would do a day and an Arvo shift. Yeah. And um, you're, the listeners may recall that at Mossman, which was a sort of decrepit old sort of Edwardian house. Yeah. in uh, on the way to the zoo and he used to work two shifts and at 11pm it had shut down and it just sort of you'd lock the door as the last police officer left yeah. so between 11pm and 7am it was just an empty house minor problem was actually full of firearms let's say you had 20 police working out of a, a station that was not like Lane Cove was the same and Mossman for a while Mm. And you just have lockers now. When I say lockers, I'm talking about shitty little lockers that you can open with a paperclip. If you've got half a half a, if you've got the tiniest little bit of talent, you can actually. It's it's laughable. And then if you could open that tiny, tiny little thin, ridiculous, so poorly built locker inside yeah. all the lockers, were all the police uniforms, their hats and all their firearms, so and loaded revolvers, and handcuffs. And can you imagine if you would break into a station, and I don't even know whether the stations, some of these stations were alarmed back in the early 80s, and there was a, a robbery at, I think it was Lane Cove, and they just got in and stole all the guns and handcuffs, belts, battens, but more importantly, even though this is going to sound a bit weird, more importantly than, um, than the guns... Is they got the uniforms? I mean, can you imagine, you know, in your opinion, what do you think is so bad about being able to get hand of hand, sort of get all the uniforms? Well, I think, okay, if you're a criminal, an enterprising criminal,
2: and you could get you and your cohorts into uniforms, you could walk into a bank, uh,
3: you could, God, you could get into pretty much anywhere dressed as a cop, right? You could get anywhere. You could get into, into the House, into the Parliament, you could, um, any, th- any situation that you can think of. Yeah. Uh, you just... Plus, you
2: can knock on a door. You can knock on anyone's door uh, and they would open the door and probably answer your questions. You could probably have a look around. If you, if you were clever enough, you could use that uniform to muscle your way in
3: basically anywhere. That's you know? right, yeah. Mm. So it's pretty scary. I mean, a lot of people have been pulled over at nighttime and, and, and quite a few women have been sexually assaulted by people pretending to be police, masquerading as police it's diabolical yeah um, so I just the only time that we ever used our um like when you went on holidays in the police force back in the 80s you were you were supposed to hand in your appointments uh-huh. and the station sergeant would book them in or, or not even book them in you just hand them to him and he'd whack them in this big safe yeah that was in there was a general safe and quite often under the counter in the main part of the police station at least at North Sydney yeah. But, um, you know, I used to do a lot of, um, I, I used to, with mates, we used to go, you know, out in the bush and we used to take our uh, our guns with us. And you, you always had to account for your, your ammunition. Mm. Obviously, that was fairly difficult to come by. But we had contacts in the police force where we could access. I can't quite remember who we'd go to, but we there was always someone that was happy to sell you um, spare ammo. Why would you need spare ammo? Well, you would use the police ammo. Look, if ever you used your fire firearm, you had there was a lot of paperwork, as you can imagine. Yes. And you had to account for your bullets. So if you oh, I see. sort of let a few go, <laughs> let's say you're out in the bush and you felt like shooting a few tin cans, for example, um, you had to account for those bullets because they're special bullets. You know, they're the, they're bullets that were designed, although well, they were yeah. actually useless as I've told you before, in terms of doing what they were supposed to do. Mm. And that's why they modified them and turned them into something more, because there, f- were, there was a I'll time f- they, array, yeah, yeah they, they weren't actually that, of, there was that case in Bathurst where the, the guy, had a guy coming at him with a shotgun and, you know, he shot him six times and the guy yep. with a shotgun just kept coming. They realised right. the bullets were useless. So they changed those. I mean, the guns they use today I think are, are a different kettle of fish. Yeah, so you know, you'd go out and you'd Use your firearms. I mean, it's just so lax. It's incredible. And then yeah. Mossman Police Station, as I've said to you, that was going to sort of completely pretty well shut down. Then that judge across the road said, hang on a sec. And then they ended up turning it into a 24-hour station and spent a couple of mil fixing it up.
2: That's actually, yeah, a pivotal plot point at the start of Electric Blue. Mm. We talk about that in so, the book.
3: So, Yeah. Well,
2: look, I mean, Brad, we hope we answered your question. I mean, what Brad tailed off the question by asking was, John, is it still possible to be able to listen to communications uh, or is this legal? Is it legal,
0: Dad? It's do a very know?
3: good question. My gut feeling yeah, is that I just don't see how it can be legal. Neither do I. I don't get it. I just, yeah. it seems weird. And it's sort of, it's, I guess if you were listening to police channels, because um, Sydney, you um, is a very big area, and it's divided up into numerous areas. Now, as um, Brad pointed out, he was listening out Blacktown, Mount Druitt way. Yep. Um, so, I would imagine, um, anecdotally, that there'd be far, far more excitement and action happening out there sure. than, say, Avalon. And I'm, and I don't mean that in any particular um, sort of, you know, it's not a negative, um, no, but I think it's the reality. You know, if I wanted to listen to uh, to action, you know, it's 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 like surfing. If you want to watch a big surfing competition, you, you're you going to hopefully hope that it's a massive surf as opposed to a mill pond.
2: You go to Bell's Beach, you don't go to, you know... Um, Pitwater. You know, okay. Well, I really enjoyed that episode, Dad. It was nice to kind of return to the police days for an episode and, you know, sort of dip back in there. But... I also just wanted to say a very quick thank you to all of our wonderful listeners for pre-ordering Electric Blue. Thank you so much for pre-ordering all these copies. Keep on doing it. Pest to your local bookstores, head across to Booktopia and order your copy of Electric Blue right now in time for Father's Day. But if you live overseas, we've had many requests for this. You can now order the book online if you live overseas, anywhere in the world, at all. I was talking to some Canadian friends this morning. They've just ordered their copies. All you have to do if you want to order from overseas is go to Book Depository and then search for Electric Blue. Thank you so, so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, the podcast. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.